I, uh, I got to say, it is so good to be uh, celebrating with you. If this is your first time to Spring Hill, um, I just want to say again just how grateful that we are that you are worshiping in this place tonight. Um, you know, I really want you to only know one thing about this church before we jump in. Um, just one quick thought. Um, my prayer and our prayer as a church is that we would be a place that you call home tonight. You might be visiting from a thousand miles away, or you may have just walked across the, the street, um, but no matter how you got here, um, I just want to invite you to settle in as though this were your own living room. And I know full well the dangers of that statement. Just leave your shoes on for me. Um, but really, I want to just encourage you to forget about the chaos of Christmas and the to-do list that never got finished and the meal that still needs baking and just to be here. And to help us do that, I want us to turn to Luke's gospel. We're going to go to chapter two tonight. It's also up on the screens for you. Luke's gospel chapter two. And here's the thing about Christmas, right? Um, I'm guessing you've probably heard this scripture before, right? Like many times over. And that's a good thing because let me remind us in these seven short verses that we're going to read together, the world was never the same again. And so I'm just going to pray real quick that God would give us ears to hear from him and to, uh, and to change us too tonight. Let me pray for us before we jump in. God, we thank you for your word to us. Lord, we thank you for the gift of Christmas. We just ask, God, as we open it up and we, we consider what it means for our lives, Lord, would you make that clear by your Holy Spirit, Lord? Lead us, God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So let's listen to Luke 2, 1 through 7. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Friends, I often like to say, this is the word of the Lord and it endures forever. I want to talk tonight about Christmas expectations. If you think about it, Christmas Eve is filled with expectations, isn't it? Like, let's take a quick straw poll. Um, who in this room was expecting for a white Christmas tonight? Anybody? It happened, right? I mean, this is Montana. We made it happen tonight. And it's not just the weather. I think we bring all sorts of hopes and dreams that are packed up in a night like tonight. Some of us have been anticipating family Parents, children, grandchildren, cousins, aunts, uncles for months now. We've been bringing these expectations of being together tonight and tomorrow, of eating together, celebrating with one another. And if you think about it, even in this very moment, we bring expectations tonight. All around the world, we celebrate with this same theme of candles in silent night. You saw that thread sewn in every single one of those photos across the globe. We come expecting to hear the story of, of Jesus' birth and to celebrate that light. That's Christmas, right? And if you're in my house, uh, the expectations certainly don't stop there. I have a two-year-old and a five-year-old, two little girls, and let me tell you, um, I know all about the expectations in my house for tomorrow. And parents, just level with me for a minute. 
Um, for some of us, it's going to be a really long night, isn't it? Because the wrapping paper is still in the closet and the gifts are still in the trunk of your car. Anybody? Is that just me? But really, what are your expectations tonight? Well, maybe you don't have any at all. Maybe you, uh, you're just living in the moment tonight, going with the flow, and that's good. Or maybe all the expectations that you had now look entirely different than the reality that's in front of you. I get it. But here's why I ask this question. This is my one and only point for us to consider all night long. If you get this, you get this entire lesson. The Christmas story is all about expectation. The Gospel of Luke tells us this story about a couple who were on their way to Joseph's hometown. God's word tells us they were expecting that Mary would give birth to this newborn child. Look at this in chapter 2, verse 5. It says, Joseph went to Bethlehem to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a son. And yet, really, that's only the beginning of this story about expectation. Joseph and Mary, they certainly anticipated this birth, right? The, the angel had told them about it. Mary's got the baby bump, she knows. And yet they'd have never guessed the timeline. They were on their way to Joseph's hometown to be counted for this census, which means labor and delivery was set aside for another day. And we would have expected, right, that, that Bethlehem being Joseph's old stomping grounds would have meant someone would have been there to help them in their emergency. Certainly Joseph would have known an old neighbor or a friend or maybe even a family acquaintance. And yet that's not what the scriptures tell us. There was no room. The village was overwhelmed with out-of-town guests, far too busy for that. And so Mary gives birth to this newborn child. We know the story, but her expectations don't even line up anymore. I mean, just think about this. Strangers come knocking at the door to see this homeless child laying in a horse trough. Who would have expected that? And all this goes down while a sleepy, ordinary town went about a typical silent night. You know, normally on Christmas Eve, we expect to hear about the, the wise men or the shepherds or the angels we expect a good story about Joseph or Mary. But tonight, I want us to consider something entirely different, far more obscure than that. Because it seems to me that of all those who were mentioned in the Christmas story, there was one group, one group who had no expectations of anything extraordinary that night. Bethlehem was so caught up in the busyness of Caesar's census that all they could see was the pending headcount ahead of them. And it's interesting to me, you know, we sing about this run-of-the-mill town every Christmas, right? With this exemplary image in mind. We, these are the words. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. But can I just ask an obvious question? I don't want to burst our Christmas bubbles. But, but why is it that the Savior of the world is born? Like the most cataclysmic moment of all of history is taking place and we sing about Jesus' birthplace as the town that slept through the party. You ever thought of that? I mean, who does that? Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. You know, it's not that far off, that hymn, if we really study God's word. It seems to me that Bethlehem was so distracted and so caught up in their day-to-day -day lives that they missed this moment entirely. 
You add that census to the mix, and who can blame them? Miles of travel, family reunions, check-in stations, food preparations. Who has time for a baby? But as you look to the scriptures, it seems as though Bethlehem missed it. You ever considered that? Like, how is it that it took foreign wise men and shepherds from the middle of nowhere in the wilderness and somehow donkeys and sheep know more about this birth than all of the village combined? And no matter where you land on the Christmas story, however you see it, you have to at least admit that the birth of this child was a big deal. I mean, from this moment forward, nothing on earth has ever been the same. You have to agree to that. I love how uh, one scholar put it. He said, all of our art, all of our music, all of our literature, all of Western culture, our institutions, our entire understanding of who we are changed that night. You don't have to be a Christian to feel the shockwave that was initiated in that little town. And it's impossible really for us to even imagine what the world would look like without Christ being born that night. And yet Bethlehem seemed to snooze right through the whole thing. In fact, we don't even hear about the town of Bethlehem showing up anywhere in the Christmas story except for as a mark on the map. What are you expecting this Christmas? Bethlehem was this small village of just like 500 or so people I mean, it was about a two-hour walk from Jerusalem. And so with that proximity, the town was kind of like this, this refueling station for travelers as they were coming and going from the big city. And unlike Mary's hometown of Nazareth, everybody knew about this town. The name Bethlehem means house of bread. It was home to farmers and millers and bakers. It was where Jerusalem's elite and wealthy literally got their daily sustenance and bread. And here's the catch. Um, let me just get nerdy real quick for a second. If you were at all religious, if you were at all familiar with the Jewish faith, you knew about this town. The Old Testament is filled with Bethlehem cameos. It was where Jacob's wife, uh, Rachel, was buried. It was the place where a famous woman named Ruth met her husband, Boaz. It was the birthplace of King David. It was the place where Samuel anointed David in his kingship. But really, that's just Bible trivia. Just set all that aside for a minute because here's the important part. It was said to be the place where the Savior of God's people would be born. The Jewish faithful knew this. Bethlehem had to know. They had to be waiting for this. It was their claim to fame. Micah, who's a prophet in the Old Testament, he said this, but you, O Bethlehem, from you shall come forth with from me one who is to be ruler in Israel. He went on to say, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the Lord, of name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth and he shall be their peace. And yet here's the catch. It had been 700 years since that prophecy was given. 700 years since that promise from Micah was handed over. That's a long time to wait. I mean, that's generations upon generations. And you have to wonder, was anybody even waiting for it anymore? Did anybody even see it? Were they looking for it? Did anybody even care? Or had they forgotten? A little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. You know, friends, I think we live in a world that defines distraction. It's not just a holiday phenomenon. 
any world anymore. This is, this is life. They say on average, we have three seconds to capture somebody's attention on a website, just three. We leave our cell phones on the table at dinner face down so as to say, I'm present, but I'm always available for the next interruption. We fill our days chock full and then we wear our calendars like a badge of honor so as to say, I did something today. It reminds me of that day in Bethlehem. See, on the, the outside, it appeared as though everyone was traveling back to their hometown for a mandated census. On the outside, it was, it was chaos. It was fury. We've all heard of that holiday travel nightmare, right, where people get stuck in airports for days. But imagine not having enough food for your mule. Just think about the traffic and the dust along those roads in Palestine. The entire empire was in upheaval. Everyone was distracted. And yet God was about to use all of it, every bit of it, for something no one would have ever expected. A few years ago, my, uh, my family rented a cabin out in the mountains of Colorado. And um, really, the only expectation of this family gathering was just for us to be together. That was the plan. And the first night was perfect. We unloaded the cars. We cooked up some chili. And I remember we watched out the window, kind of like tonight, where the snow just sort of peacefully fell onto the trees. It was classic, perfect Christmas. We all went to bed. We were feeling awesome about the next day. And then Christmas took a nosedive. My brother woke up in the middle of the night not to meet Santa, but to meet this Scrooge called the norovirus. Anybody heard of it? And no one saw that one coming. So, so the next day we did what any loving family would do. We quarantined him to the basement. And then we all went skiing. And about two hours into this cross-country ski trip, out of nowhere, it was my turn. It hit like a freight train. And still to this day, I don't know how I skied back to the car, but we, we get back to the cabin and I literally crawled down the stairs to the basement I opened the, the door and my brother looked up at me. He said, what are you doing here? I said, what do you think? And from there, the house of cards fell. Every expectation we had of Christmas was gone. Let me ask you, if we took away the candles and we took away the carols and we left behind the Christmas tree and the gifts, if the stockings and the ornaments were to disappear, if everything that we expected about Christmas was left out and all we had was just this simple, ordinary town and this promised child to us, would we still see it? Would it still be Christmas? My wife, Jen, and I went to visit Bethlehem a few years ago. And I tell you, um, we had one of the best tour guides in all of Israel. His name was Nabil, just an incredible man of God. And Nabil took us to visit the church of the nativity there in town. They, they say this was the place where Jesus was born. We knew it wasn't probably the exact spot, but we knew we were at least in the same region and the same town. And my wife, Jen, was just in awe of this. And she said to Nabil, she said, man, it is such a blessing that you get to do this week after week, that you get to worship where Jesus was born. And I'll never forget his response. It was nothing like we expected. He said, yeah, but it's not what you think. He said, I'm a minority in this town. He said, Christians make up just over 10% of all Bethlehem, and we're outsiders. I mean, just think about that, 10% even today of Bethlehem. How is it 
that the Christians are on the outside of Jesus' birth town. And you know, it's been over 2,000 years, as Tori reminded us, since Christ was born. 2,000 years since that child grew to be a man and then died for the sins of the world. And he made us this promise 2,000 years ago that if you put your faith in him, this gift of Christmas is yours. And after proving it on the cross, he then assured us 2,000 years ago that I'm coming back to bring you home. So I think whether it was 700 years or, or 2,000 years for the second coming, that's a long time, isn't it? See, Christmas is about expectation. What are you expecting tonight? Because life is chock full of distraction. We've got careers to pursue and success to achieve, children to raise, schedules to coordinate, finances to stow away, retirement to live into. How might we make room for Christ in all those expectations? Do we live today as though he's coming back tomorrow? Do we see history taking place and wonder, Lord, what are you up to? Do we wake up with expectation and anticipation of how God might move today? Or are we just too caught up in all the distractions this life has to give us? Whatever you came expecting tonight, I want you to know something about the Christmas story. It is a story that will change your life forever. It's a story that goes beyond our greatest hopes and our most unfathomable dreams. It's a story that even in the midst of life's disappointments and trials gives us cause to move forward with hope and preparation. Friends, this isn't a story that lives in the past because it's a story of right now. That child that was born promised to that town of Bethlehem is the same child that's promised to you and me salvation in his name. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born to us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell. O come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. That's my prayer for us tonight, and it's an expectation worth living into. Let's ask God to help us do that and awaken us tonight. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the promise, not only of your birth, but that we have salvation in you, Lord. The promise that you are returning one day. And God, we confess our lives are, are distractions. Lord, we forget. We can come up with all the excuses in the world. And yet, Lord, tonight we return to you. We pray, would you awaken our hearts, God, to seek you as the wise men sought you, to seek you as the shepherds sought you. Lord, help us to do that, to wake up every morning from here on to next Christmas with an anticipation of what you might be doing in our midst, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.